am Lori Power, Director of Lifelong Faith Formation at Christ the Redeemer Parish, and welcome to Talking Saints. I'm here today with my co-host, Pete Sanchez, reporter for the Catholic Star-Herald, and we'll be spending a few minutes talking about a particular saint and how his or her example can inspire us because, as Pope Francis reminds us, to be saints is not a privilege for the few, but a vocation for everyone. Hey, Pete. Hey, Lori. Merry Christmas. Yeah, that's right. We are still in the Christmas octave. Yes, we are. And uh, I I like it how, I guess I I, I like it how this time of year, we're not only celebrating the birth of Jesus, but we're celebrating the saints. Yes. I mean, that's, that's just such a blessing and grace, I believe, how we can have, and saints such as this martyr. Yes. uh, I just spoiled it for us, but for our (laughs) listeners, um... But I think it's just nice to uh, nice to con- to remember that not only are we you know not only is Jesus' birth it's it's uh, we're we're remembering it now, but we're also remembering the witness that his birth, what the seeds that were planted because of that and the fruit that was born exactly. out of these individuals. Yeah. So who are, who are we talking about? Saint Thomas Becket. Thomas Beckett. Yes. If you, there is a popular movie I've never seen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's popular. Well, it's it's with, uh, I'm going to say, uh, Richard Burden and Peter O'Toole called Beckett. So um, yeah, there that's is some, kind of familiar. Yeah, popular familiarity yeah, popular with culture. Yeah. So maybe you've heard of it. So you might know the life. But if you don't... Uh, do you want to start? This was about the 12th century. Yes. Right, Lori? Yes. Yeah. And I really didn't know much about him at all, I think, other than he was a martyr. So this was kind of fascinating no. to yeah. get to know him. So apparently he was born um, in 1118 on December 21st, which at the time was St. Thomas's Day. So that may have been why he was given the name Thomas. Mm. Um, we no longer celebrate Thomas the Apostles' Feast Day that day, but for him, that's where he how he received the name, it seems. Um, and apparently he was the son of Gilbert Beckett, who was sheriff of London, um, and both his father and mother were of Norman blood, so he had French ancestry. Um, he was, it, it, his father was fairly well off. Um, he, I think, was a property owner and was living off of his income and sent Thomas to school um, to study with the canons regular in Sussex, and then he later went to the University of Paris. But when he returned from France, it seemed like his father had had a bit of reversal of fortune, and Thomas was uh, required to to take an appointment as a clerk in the sheriff's court to support himself. Um, But while he was there, he seemed to show great ability, and he was also apparently taken under the wing of of some of his father's uh, wealthy friends, and he seemed to enjoy hawking and hunting. So he <laughs> had some, uh, that, was, that was some of his leisure activities when he was younger. And there's one story where when he was out hunting with one of his falcons, apparently the bird swooped down to uh, after a duck and the duck dived under the water and the falcon plunged in. And because he really valued his, his hawk, he uh, dived into the water after him and was like swept up in the stream. And the only reason he didn't die accidentally is because the wheel uh, at the mill where he was heading was was stopped at that time. Just just providentially, <laughs> they didn't know he was in the water. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so it kind of pointed to he's going to have a, a little bit of an impetuous daring to him that we might see later in life. So yeah, yeah we <laughs> Well, should we mention the the other key player in the story too? Sure. Yeah. So, 
um, we, we a little bit about Thomas. We'll get back to him. But a person you should know in a story is Henry II. In 1154, Henry II is 22 years old, 21. 21 he becomes king that is 21 years old like that's amazing he became <laughs> that's king a big and responsibility yeah this was this was during a turbulent time for england um england was politically divided weekend and so henry kind of took the chance to he wanted to uh consolidate power and he called on someone i he needed uh he needed a chancellor right mm. and so who, who I think who was a chancellor? Our guy, our guy Beckett, right? <laughs> see, he's the one. Yeah, yeah he uh, well, because he was recommended by the Archbishop Theobald of Canterbury, and yes. this was a powerful job. I think it kind of straddled the line between political and also religious, right? right? Yes. So this is where uh, Beckett was influential in a lot of different things: court affairs, court mm-hmm. matters, uh, legal matters, official documents, and. He even, um, and they worked well together. They, they really did, became, yeah. I had read that like they were close friends. They People even said they were of one heart and one mind. And Beckett's influence um, really impacted how Henry was leading and some of the um, changes he was making. And yeah, so they seemed to be really close there yeah. for a while. They even fought side by side yes. in battles. And so this just was a deep friendship and... You know, and, and it's important to you to remember that Chancellor Beckett at this time he still was a deacon, uh, but his lifestyle was secular, right? <laughs> he liked he liked the finer yes. things, or he's, <laughs> he, had he quite, was given the finer things. People commented that his household was as fine, if not finer, than the king's. Um, yeah. There was one case where he was sent to France to negotiate a royal marriage, um, and he took a personal retinue of two hundred men. Uh, with knights, squires, clerics, servants, eight wagons, music singers, hawks and hounds. And then when he got there, the French said to themselves, well, if this is the chancellor's state, uh, what can the kings be like? Yeah. <laughs> so he made quite an impression. But apparently he was also very generous to the poor. Yeah, he was still... To them. And yeah, despite this lifestyle, he was still known to be a man of faith mm. and purity in circles. So... And then there was a seismic uh, event that kind of happened that changed things even more, right? Do, do you want to talk about that? Who, who died? Oh, well, of course, the Archbishop Theobald died in 1161. Um, and King Henry was actually in Normandy with Thomas at the time. And when they heard about the Archbishop's death, he immediately said, well, I intend to make you the Archbishop. And Thomas said very clearly to him, um, should God permit me to be the Archbishop of Canterbury, I would soon lose your majesty's favor and the affection with which you honor me would be changed into hatred. So he knew that if he took on this position, he would then have to put the needs and the uh, just the rights of the church above that of the state. And he could see already that this would be a problem for their mm-hmm. friendship and that the king would end up hating him. So he tried to warn him. He said, I do not want this position. He even said no initially, but it seems like it wasn't until a papal legate came and convinced him to uh, take the position that he was. Well, that, dear listeners, is foreshadowing. (laughs) Um, To know, you know, so so, uh, he did become... Well, uh, it was interesting. He had to be ordained a priest one day, and then the next day consecrated a bishop. So he had quite a week, quite a week to become the archbishop. (laughs) And then at this time, within a year of becoming 
archbishop he had a transformation it he really shed like the it. luxuries he was accustomed to he yeah. started really wearing became, a hair shirt yeah very penance, simple clothing very um, aesthetical life yeah so if that was where the shift was and the you know it, it uh and then what happened is the king wanted thomas to remain you know to unite the two roles at mm. the service of the king and so he, he, he wanted him to still be chancellor, and this is when Beckett said, no, That's right. I'm had, not going to be. And that down really, from that, that was like, that was the first rift, and they had become close, and then they drifted off. And mm. uh, over the next year and a half, things were not good, and do we want to... There were a couple of things that happened that sort of made it a little bit worse. Apparently, yeah. there was... Um, a, a canon, a priest who was accused of murdering a soldier. And at the time, the law said that as since he was a cleric, he would be tried in ecclesiastical court, not in civil court. And the king said, no, this, this is not acceptable. Um, clerics should be tried in civil court even after maybe they're tried in the ecclesiastical court. Um, so the king made this law that, of course, anytime there was a, if they were found guilty of crimes against the civil law, they needed to be handed over to civil court for punishment. So that was the first yeah. thing that the bishops were sort of pushing against. Um, and then he he made other um, rules that uh, they were all put together in a document called the Constitutions on Clarendon, and they included things like. Um, no prelate, no cleric should leave the kingdom without royal permission because that would prevent them from making an appeal to the Pope. So he was trying to really extend his authority over the church. Um, he said, yeah. no one no one should be excommunicated against the king's will. So the king is saying, I should be the one who ha should okay if you are going to excommunicate someone in my kingdom. So yeah. things like that where he's extending his power over the church. And then even, so this was where... Uh, this was where the king really got him with the vengeance. Yeah. Uh, he There was a sham trial, and Becca was found guilty of contempt of royal authority and misappropriation of funds during his time as chancellor, which is just all a, all a mess. It really was a way kind of to the king just wanted to get back in him. Mm. He, he felt hurt that, you know, hey, I thought you were on my side. And, you know, Beckett was on God's side. And so then with the, you know, of course it was a guilty verdict. And then the king demanded Beckett resign. He said no. And instead Beckett fled to France where he took refuge in the court of King Louis VII. And then later on he traveled to France where, interestingly enough, the Pope was also in exile, Pope Alexander <laughs> yeah. III. So who um, is another figure who'll show up later in our story. You know, he's in our story. Um, and the Pope more importantly, offered this Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas, his support. And mm. this is when he said, you know, live in the Cistercian Abbey in France. Uh, basically, it sounded like the Pope was, they were, the three of them were all trying to make peace. They all That's wanted true. to make it right, you know, wanted to come to a peaceful resolution. But Henry was not, I mean, this went on for like four years. Mm. They were trying to figure things out. And, and the even king the, was apparently so, the Cistercian monastery where they placed him, the king started to threaten the monastery. Like, if you continue right. to keep him yeah. there, you will lose my support. And yeah. So. Yeah. So it, it got to just, he was, uh, yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, and finally the Pope, they, they hashed things out. And Henry, King Henry said, fine, you know, you can come back to Canterbury. But I think, 
you know, the archbishop, you were saying, Lori. Yeah, the, the, he, knew he, knew, this, he knew that things were not. <laughs> Apparently he said to the Bishop of Paris when he was leaving France, I'm going to England to die. So he knew something that wasn't going to go well upon his return. Yeah, and this was, I guess, a tipping point was when Archbishop Beckett, he excommunicated three bishops mm. at this time, who would crown King Henry's son as a future king, which really was not allowed because that was, that the, was the role Archbishop. of the Archbishop. Yeah. yeah. So he, and then that's when King Henry, he just, it might have been a one off phrase of the yeah. four knights with them where. He said something to the effect of, you know, will anybody rid me of this meddling priest or something? He just, you know, it's something one would say maybe after having a few glasses. I don't know. (laughs) Or just being angry. Exactly. And then, yeah. So what happened next? You want to explain? (laughs) Well, those four knights took it as a royal command that the king intended that Thomas be killed. So they uh, went on their way to the cathedral. Um, I think they went in and said, you know, where is this traitor, Thomas? Um, and he I, he knew <laughs> he was going to die. So he almost, he paused for a moment and sort of made his peace with God. And it appears, I think initially they left their weapons outside and went in looking for him. And then ultimately went back outside, <laughs> retrieved their weapons and came in. And apparently it was a pretty gruesome death. I don't know that we will, we won't describe it. No. Um, but he was, yeah, his murder was fairly gruesome and yeah. um, died by the sword. And people almost immediately began referring to him as a martyr um, after yeah. seeing this death. Yeah, they said his last words were, for the name of Jesus. This is what's, you know, because there were witnesses. I think there mm. were monks there too. And there were people, his body laid there for, for quite a while. Yeah. yeah, for quite a while before they moved it. But his, Becky's last words were, were called to be for the name of Jesus and the protection of the church. I'm ready to embrace death. So, wow. and it sounded like he was ready for quite a bit. He knew once things would, you know, he, he, he could see where the trajectory was going mm. that he wouldn't. You know, things things didn't happen. And uh, and then he was, yeah, they started, I think, being miracles, too, attributed to him. And right, three when years, people were visiting his tomb, yeah. And three years after his death, uh, the Pope Alexander III, who would, you know, try to hash things out, his ally, declared him a saint. That was really quick. Yes. For, I mean, even <laughs> in today's times, three years, um, just to show with that community and and in the king's defense, apparently when news of um, Thomas's death was brought to him, he did shut himself up and fasted for forty days, and he knew that his remark was what had sent the the knights bent on vengeance uh, to Thomas. So apparently, he later performed public penance and received absolution from the papal legate. So he knew he had what he had done was wrong, or that his you know angry remark led to thomas's death yeah and even uh if if you're familiar uh, we talked about beckett but we're also going to mention uh the canterbury tales by mm. jeffrey chaucer uh that was uh influenced the, the the life of beckett and the death uh influenced him because if if you're familiar with the story these are pilgrims going to making a pilgrimage to the shrine of saint thomas mm-hmm. beckett at canterbury cathedral and that was they even mentioned Henry II made that pilgrimage and led a lot of people. So he could have, could have been, and that was written uh, between 
1387 and 1400 so about 200 years so uh that's fascinating that that you know this work is so revered the canterbury tales it's it's well known um yeah we mentioned we both read it in high school yeah yeah maybe (laughs) you know about it but if if not it is something at least to pick up because it's fascinating and and then there's another uh Another artist, uh, T.S. Eliot, wrote a, I think it was a, a, a prose drama, they call it. This was back, a verse drama. Um, this was about 1935, so not mm-hmm. even 100 years ago. It was called Murder in the Cathedral, and it basically explains the assassination of Thomas Beckett. But uh, I was looking at that, and there's just some words attributed to Beckett that Eliot, just a wonderful writer, um, He's written a few things like The Wasteland mm-hmm. and a few other classic works. But um, he has Beckett say these words, and I think it's it's prevalent for us today. Uh, it says, a Christian martyrdom, a Christian martyrdom is never an accident. Saints are not made by accident. A martyr, a saint, is always made by the design of God. And a martyrdom is never the design of man. For the true martyr is he who has become the instrument of God, who has lost his will in the will of God. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that is, I don't know, I'm getting chills from that because I think that is, um, I don't think it's something that Becca ever wanted, but he knew in that moment and probably moments before that, you know, for the, you know, this is what God wants. Mm-hmm. God wants me here in this time so people so many years later what 900 years later or so can talk about me That's on a podcast true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i don't know what do you think inspired yes inspired, i agree yes. i agree um, that is true but what else what else so it was interesting we noted that we were talking about where his he's buried now where his relics would be and apparently yeah. another henry <laughs> Mm-hmm. Henry VIII had apparently had his bones destroyed and wanted his memory obliterated uh, when he was king. So yeah, poor Thomas, even years later, still having problems with King Henry. So yeah, yes. yeah, he uh, because I think of his witness because of the, he was willingness to defend the church. Yeah, and I think that's his story's uh, good for us today. You know, back it easily could have. Uh, you know, he had he had an easy friendship with mm-hmm. Henry. He could have just continued that, you know, living the life of luxury and followed what the king wanted to do. But really, he just he realized, you know, I'm I'm not looking for the favor of the king. I'm looking for the favor of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So I think, especially, you know, there's a lot of things that try to curry our favor. Social media. Um, you know, other that, that's the big one. I think all the likes that you know we can get, and all the all the influence that we can find, or you know, think that we are. Mm. But really, the the ultimate like that we need is that of God's. Um, that's right. And it's it's really if uh, that, I think that's what I most got out of this, Lori. Just you know, to be. That, you know, the, to do the will of God that's in all right. things. That's what a saint is, right? One who does, I mean, hopefully we're not martyred, but if it comes <laughs> if that's to that's God's the, will. Then, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, again, with Beckett, it's, uh, 
it, it's it's a beautiful story because it, he 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 lived and he he knew both lives. Mm. He knew the luxurious life, and he also knew the ascetic life, and he chose the ascetic life. And so that too is a call for me in my own life to you know want want the ascetic life more mm-hmm. um you know it's not maybe not be i'm never gonna be archbishop of canterbury <laughs> i've accepted that i've accepted that after so many years of wanting it um no but the it's just this idea of of uh we can every day we can choose to do the will of god or the will of man mm. you know two paths so let's ask Thomas for some help. Shall we uh, close with a prayer? Sure thing. All right. Almighty God, you granted your martyr, Thomas Beckett, the grace to give his life willingly for the freedom of your church. By his prayers, make us willing to renounce our life in this world for Christ so that we may find it in heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. St. Thomas Beckett. Pray for us.